0: The Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 5. So Jesus and his disciples are in this boat and they get to the other side in the country called Gerasenes. And when they get out of the boat, a man comes from the tombs who has an unclean spirit. And he he wasn't bound because they had bound him before many times, but he just broke loose because the the demons within him and made him super strong and he could break free. And so He would just go about screaming and cutting himself, and everyone was scared of him. So seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed before him and shouted, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. And so Jesus says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit, and asked the spirit, what is your name? And the spirit said, I am legion, for we are many. It's interesting how Mark says, and he began to implore him um, earnestly not to send him out of the country. I assume by he, he means the person, because of course, demons are speaking through a person's mouth. And the the person himself, these are probably his, like he thinks these are his thoughts, even though he's afflicted, they intertwine with your thoughts, with your emotions, so in 12, we see he, he switches to the plural. The demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. So Jesus gave permission. So the demons went into the pigs. And this is about 2,000 pigs. And then they all rush into the sea. So, you know, <laughs> not a good ending. So we see the demons are different from the, the higher level um, evil angels in that the demons have to be in a body. Where the high, higher level angels, principalities, powers, uh, they have, you know, they considered themselves superior to being in a body. They have their own spiritual body and they wouldn't be caught dead in our type of body. So this man was now normal and uh, he ran to the city to report it to all the people. And so the people came to see what had happened and. And Jesus is sitting down, the The man who had been demon-possessed, he's in normal clothes, and he's sitting down in his right mind with Jesus, and they have an interesting reaction. They see this obvious power from God, and they want him to leave the area. But the man who had been freed from the devils, he wanted to come. He's He's imploring Jesus to let him come. But Jesus says, no, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. And then, when he gets to the other side of the boat, in from the, with the boat. Uh, the synagogue official named Jairus comes up to him and says, "My my daughter's to the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so she can get well." And then the woman with the hemorrhage for twelve years had come up and and touched him and touched his robe or his garment. So she, you know, there's a big crowd around him, so she kind of grabs hold, touches his garment, and uh, immediately she's healed. She can feel that she's healed, and Jesus can feel that the power has left his body to heal somebody. So he's immediately looking around saying, who touched my garments? And his disciples are saying, you see the crowds pressing in, and you're saying, who touched me? he's like how how do we mean everyone's touching you what are you talking about and he looks around and he sees the woman and the woman's fearing and trembling because on one hand she's grateful what's happened on the other hand she feels maybe she's been impertinent she came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your affliction so here she had the faith that if she just got near Jesus she would be made well And so she was able to grab hold of or appropriate this healing through the power that resided in him because of her faith. So that's very interesting. The kingdom suffers violence and violent men take it by force. She was, she believed, she saw the power of God was in a man, this Jesus, and she went and grabbed hold of. His garment so that she would receive you know her faith uh, brought something from this this kingdom that was an alternate universe to her she brought it into her living way her reality but we don't know if she got anything more than that was she satisfied with that that that's enough she wanted physical healing or did she start to follow jesus we don't we don't know that what what are we satisfied with are we satisfied with salvation? Are we satisfied with uh, seeing healing miracles from time to time? Are we satisfied with whatever little thing that we have? With, with good fellowship, with good uh, friendships in Christ? You know What is it that we say, Okay, I now have Christ. I, I'm, I'm good. I have enough. What do we push forward and say, We want all of what you want for us, God we only get the fullness of what God has for us if we continue to pursue him if we're open and we have faith for more if we're being discipled in the realities of the kingdom in this way of life and we have faith that this is for us, we have belief and hope that he will do and is doing these things in us then God will bless us because that is his whole plan for us to transform us to be like him that he has a family on earth that shares his wisdom his love his authority and his way of life to all creation so as they're talking they get to the synagogue official Jairus's house and uh, people come out of his house and says your daughter has died don't trouble the teacher anymore and Jesus tells them don't be afraid any longer just believe And he allowed no one to come in with him except Peter, James, and John. I'm assuming he saw in those three enough faith for this, uh, I think it's a little girl, right, to be raised from the dead. And and so he only brought in the people that had this faith. He removed all the weeping and wailing family members and friends because they did not have this faith. He says why make a commotion and weep the child has not died but is asleep and they began laughing at him so he put him out he let the father and mother and his three disciples in the room and he took the child by the hand and he said talitha kum which means little girl i say to you get up immediately she got up began to walk and she was 12 years old and immediately they were astounded he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone about this uh, but that they should give her something to eat and uh uh Obviously that 's not going to work <laughs> for that word to not get out, but uh the, you know the he it's interesting um the the atmosphere of faith in an area if we if we juxtapose that when he went to his hometown and no one believed he said there just wasn't enough faith um, the 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 faith of those present is an important factor, and then we 're on to chapter six. And ha, I see the story I just mentioned is here. I didn't know that was going to be next. So Jesus comes to his hometown, Nazareth, and he begins to teach in the synagogue. And many people are listening, and they're astonished. Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are his sisters not with us? And so they took offense at him. So one, it's kind of a cool clue. We see his uh, brothers and sisters. We know James and Judas are going to write uh, books of the Bible. Uh, James particularly was a, a pillar in the early church. We don't know much. I mean, maybe extra biblically they know more. I don't know about what happened with Joseph and Simon and the sisters or even how many sisters there were. But, you know, he came from a big family and these people knew the family and they knew jesus growing up and we would say what this this guy this little kid that we saw messing around in the neighborhood he's supposed to be a, a great prophet like they they couldn't conceive of this because they knew him as a child and so jesus says a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household so he could do no miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he wondered at their unbelief and so because they were they were not open and available to the realities of the kingdom coming because they did not believe and they did not believe because they assumed what they knew in the natural with their physical eyes having seen him grow up they assumed that was the extent of him they did not have faith that God could transform a man into himself, into uh, an eternal being with the love and wisdom and power of God. And that is what God had done to Jesus, and they were not open to that reality. And because it's it's easier for someone to think somebody that's new and exotic that we don't know. We don't have a... uh, A backstory built up in our mind about what that person is like and so it's easy to assume wow this guy is just amazing versus understanding God can do that to anybody who fully gives themselves to him and so now it's not going to happen overnight you know the the transformation takes takes years Um, but it also the speed at which it happens is correlated with the degree to which a person gives their life totally to the Lord. And so the transformation can happen faster or slower depending on the willingness of the the person involved. And so these people had known Jesus growing up, and so they missed his coming, and they were therefore, they did not get to experience a lot of the the wonders and reality of the kingdom coming because they were not open to it. And so then Jesus left and went to other villages teaching. And then Jesus wanted to start training up the twelve. So he sent the the twelve disciples out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them not to bring anything, not to bring any food or money. He wanted them to be dependent on God wherever they went. So he says, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. We know from the other Gospels, he he proclaims a blessing on those who receive them. In this one, he just kind of talks about the cursing. But he says, you know, basically that if they don't receive you, then they're cursed it's just as these people in nazareth were cursed jesus didn't specifically say you're cursed but they didn't receive the coming of the lord and so they are cursed it's just the reality of life life is for or against god that's that's there's you know two two ways to go in this life and so one is a way of blessing one is a way of cursing and a big part of life is is Ferreting out those parts of us that are living according to the way of curse and removing those from our life. So, more and more we step into a life of blessing. So, the disciples went out and they preached that people should repent. They were casting out demons, they were anointing people with oil, many sick people, and healing them. And King Herod heard about it and he thought John the Baptist had risen from the dead because he had killed them, uh, killed John the Baptist. Others were saying, no, he's Elijah. He's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But Jer- Herod kept believing it was John who he had beheaded. And the, he, Mark gives us the backstory. Uh, Herod had had a brother named Philip, and Philip had a wife named Herodias. And uh, Herod wanted uh, Philip's wife, and so he killed his brother so that he could have his wife. And John was constantly saying, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He was saying, what you've done is a great evil. This really upset Herodias. Apparently, she was all for this uh, new arrangement because she had a huge grudge against him uh, for this and really wanted uh, to put him to death. But Herod was afraid of John because he knew he was a righteous, holy man, and so he kept him safe. He was a little bothered by his teachings because he wasn't living the righteous life John was calling for, but, he, but he, there's a part of him that recognized he's holy, and he still enjoyed listening to him. So Herod had a birthday, and he invited all his important people close to him there. He had uh, Herodias' daughter, so I guess this is his niece, dance. And he said, oh, that's wonderful. Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Uh, whatever you ask of me, I will give to you even up to half of my kingdom. I don't know why kings were always promising that back in the day, but they did. And so she goes out, asks her mother, and her mother says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And so the king feels trapped, and so he calls for John the Baptist to be headed, because he didn't want to say no to his daughter in front of all his friends when he just promised her half the kingdom and she only wanted a head small thing to take somebody's life back (laughs) then can you imagine how different life was he gives his uh his daughter and his mother i mean his wife uh a head in a basket and they're delighted about this how would you feel if somebody gave you a human head in a basket (laughs) freshly cut off (laughs) that'd be pretty disturbing right but life was a lot rougher back then and so they're just thrilled they've got this head in a basket so John's disciples hear about this, and they come and they take his body and they lay it in the tomb. Of course, they're mourning. It's interesting that he, that Mark, at this point, calls the disciples apostles. Um, they had just been sent out on this mission. The apostle is one who's sent out to establish the kingdom, um, but I. And so it's, I don't know, I hadn't caught it if he's called it them this before Jesus sent them out on this little practice mission. Um, and and that's perhaps why he starts using this term, if indeed this is the first time he's used it, or more probably, I mean, it may be because of that, but I, I think um r- they were going to be apostles. Mark knew them after all after they were apostles and so he's basically calling them that even though at this time that's not what they were. They were they were disciples of Jesus and and Jesus was the apostle. But the mission they had just done was a picture of what was to come. It was training for what was to come and Jesus had given them the authority for this. So uh you know that's yeah. You know, in the reality, the Lord's above time. He knows the end from the beginning. So it's—I'm not going to say it's wrong to call them apostles at that time, um, but they—they they weren't really living that life yet, although they had been given a, a picture of a mantle that was to to come and to fulfill them later. And Mark's pretty brief about this, but they—you know—Jesus says, "Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while." So he, you know, he, we we know from others, he's he's really. Um, Matthew we just discussed he's yeah he's upset about John John and he are both independently living the life that God laid before them which was very unusual in the world and he was his cousin and uh, so he, he's just died this death and Jesus knows a similar things coming for him so he's taking a moment and so they they come to shore and the people had seen where they're going in their boat so they ran around this this lake, which we call sea in the scriptures, is it's, I mean, it's not, it's not so small that it would be quick to run around to the other side, but it's, it's certainly not that big either. And, um, and so they run around uh, so that there's a huge crowd waiting for them when they get there. And uh, my, my guess is they took some time in the middle of the sea just to have a kind of a peaceful time by themselves. To, and it gave the crowd time to get there. But it says they're coming from multiple cities to get there. And they get there, and so there's this huge crowd. So he begins to teach them many things. Okay, for your useless statistic of the day, I just looked up something because I was curious. It, apparently, uh, the Sea of Galilee holds about 0.95, 0.96 cubic miles of... Water, and Lake Travis, our local lake, uh, is about a third of that point three three mile cubic miles. Um, and um, they're both just uh, lakes on a ri- on a river, right? River runs through it, River runs out of it. I don't know. Lake Travis is just it's like that because it's dammed up. I, I don't. I assume this was before they had dams, so I assume it's kind of naturally dams itself and forms this body of water. But it's long, you know, a river lake tends to be long because it's a flowing river and it's it's a deep area of a river. So to go from one of the long ends to the other is a long way, but to go across it is not that long necessarily. Just has nothing to do with anything other than I was just curious, so I thought I would share it. So his disciples tell Jesus he should send away this huge crowd of people because there's no food. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And so they say, shall we go and spend 200 dinar on bread and give them something to eat? That's like 200 days of wages. So if you had 200 workers working all day, that's what they would earn, or one person 200 days, that's more than half a year of working, that's what they would earn. and so more than more than half of a year's wages for a person it would take that amount of food to, uh, that amount of money to buy food for this big crowd and so Jesus says how many loaves do you have go look and they went and they found five loaves and they also had two fish he commanded them to sit down they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties he took the five loaves the two fish and looking up toward heaven he blessed the food and broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and he divided up the two fish among them all. So he just keeps handing them fish. I've I've talked to uh, I talked to a guy who was on a mission trip, and they had a bag of subway sandwiches. And uh, they you know they they had a had this bag of subway sandwiches to give out to people to give you know give food, but then they encountered this huge crowd of people, and they they weren't prepared to give away that much food. And but they kept handing sandwiches, and, and the sandwiches never ran out. Like they had a little sandwich in there for every person that was there. So Jesus did this, you know, this original. Uh, well, it wasn't original. Uh, Elijah had had similar things with flour and oil, right? But um, the original New Testament version of this. So everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and also fish and uh, And there were 5,000 men who ate. You assume there's probably some women and children there too. So it was a big crowd and uh, everyone had eaten. Uh, the storehouses of the Lord have plenty for all, for for those who give their life to him. And Jesus had given his life totally to the Father. And here he wanted to Show the blessing of the Father to all these people. And so God has plenty for those purposes. So Jesus sends uh, his disciples in a boat, says goodbye to the crowd, and he goes up the mountain to pray. He, he's continually taking time by himself with the Father. That is of extreme importance. And we see, even though, you know, Jesus was like a rock star, I, I think I mentioned yesterday in the recording, a famous person coming into a bar. 20 30 years ago here in Austin and him getting mobbed so similar concept like everywhere he went he was mobbed and yet it was vitally important to him to get away from the crowd to spend time alone with God and so we see him do that often he wasn't looking for people to be his influence he knew what was in the heart of man he was looking for God to be his influence and so that when he encountered people, he was pouring out the way of God on them, not being transformed by them in order to go before God and, and, and need to start over at repentance. So Jesus sees, you know, they're w- way into the night, there's been many hours, fourth watch, and uh, he sees them straining at the oars because the wind is really howling, and so he starts walking on the sea. It says he intended to pass by them. Uh, I imagine that was their perception more than his intention. <laughs> but, uh, but they saw him walking on the sea, and so they thought it was a, he was a ghost. They cried out. They were terrified. And he spoke to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves for their heart was hardened so what was the insight from the loaves that they were supposed to have gotten it is that nothing in this natural world can stop the plans of god the purposes of god or the one that god has established for those plans and purposes so no law of physics is is anything to the will of god god created the physical world all the laws of physics were laws he put in place and he can go above and beyond those laws so whether that's creating tons of food out of a little or whether that is um walking on water which you know physics tells us that's impossible god says of course it's possible i i'm the creator of all this and if i change those rules for The one who walks in my way, then that's my business and I will do it. And so that is what the disciples had not yet quite learned. And that is hopefully something that we can break through our unbelief because our unbelief stops us from receiving the fullness of the kingdom life and the reality of the way of God. And, you know, uh, miracles are an interesting thing. Over the last century, particularly in the last 50 years um, people have become obsessed with miracles and that is a hindrance to our walk in the Lord if we're obsessed with like healing or we're obsessed with other miracles um, then we lose focus on the giver of the gift instead of being instead of being focused on him we're just focused on the gift Um, so that can be a huge hindrance but they're good because they allow us to check Uh, our belief structure. And if we believe such things are impossible today, then they are impossible for us today. If we believe that the fullness of the promise of God is available to us, then it is available to us. And we should seek him, not focusing on gifts, but focusing on the life. Gifts will come along with that. Focus on the life of God, the new reality that he wants you to be, and he wants you to live and then life will become a miracle. And the chapter ends with, you know, they, they got to the land, and many people brought sick, and he's healing the sick, and just touching, you know, just, just touching. People are being healed. And then we're on to chapter 7. So now uh, some Pharisees and scribes come around, and they see that some of Jesus' disciples are not eating their hands before— sorry, <laughs> they're not washing their hands before they eat— and uh, and because, and then Mark gives a, quick, a note that uh, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, observing the tradition of their elders. And when they come home from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves, which makes me wonder if my wife is a Pharisee. Anytime we come home from anywhere, she's yelling out to everybody, wash your hands, wash your hands. Hmm. <laughs> and then... Uh, so they're big on, you know, washing everything, which, I mean, I'm joking, but those are good things to do, right? It's, I think my wife's dad's a doctor, and that's probably where she gets that. It's a good thing to do. But they had made a, and this is common with religion, right? A lot of times at the heart, there's something good that's at the heart of it, but we've made it a religion, a structure of life, instead of just a good principle to, to have amongst many. They've made it a law in which life must be lived according to, and that's wrong. I've got an example. I I, I was brought up, I was, it's funny because when I was a kid, I was made to do the lawn, and I did a terrible job. I would kick and scream and fight about doing it, and so our lawn would look terrible until they just absolutely pinned me down and made me do it. And so I did not joyfully do this as a child, but I was made to do it, it as one of my things. And, um, and then when I got older, well, you know, once I got a house, I had a condo before we moved into this house, so I didn't have a yard. But once we got in this house, I found myself very religiously taking care of the yard. And so I take, you know, a certain amount of pride in the yard. People commented, I have the best yard in the, which is a pretty small accomplishment, but it is what it is. I, I, you know, I, I. For whatever reason, I guess because of the way I was raised, I care about my yard more than anybody on this cul-de-sac, and uh, the the neighbor directly next to me on one side probably cares about it the least, and um, so it, we have a strip of grass in the front yard that's his, that's, but it's all connected to mine, and so I I maintain that because the rest of his yard is a weed sanctuary, and I the so the weeds of course you know, they propagate, right? They do what life does. And so I don't want that right next to my yard where I can easily stop it. There's four feet of extra grass that I can just uh water uh myself um as I'm watering my own lawn. And so the kids have noticed all these things and they ask questions and they you know, ask why he doesn't care. So I'm always I'm always trying to be clear with the kids that Clearly, I think it's important to have a yard that is a certain way, but they don't think it's important. And that does not make them, that does not make me a better person. That's a, a value that obviously for whatever reason I value and I obviously I do value it or I wouldn't be spending all the time taking care of it that I do tend to spend taking care of it. But if you extrapolate that and make a law for life, and make somehow I'm a better person than them because I keep my yard neater, well, that's absurd. That that's making a certain principle that I think is good, and I I could argue why that's a good thing, um, but it's just a it's it's just one thing. It's not. Uh, it's not something to base your life around it certainly shows nothing about the character of who you are it's it's a value and so here what we see is the religious spirit creating from a value based on a good principle um deciding that that means godly or ungodly and and those are not the same things and that's what jesus is is dealing with here so when the Pharisees ask him about it, he, uh, Jesus says back to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So he's saying this is the heart of religion, right? He's saying you go about your religious life and you think you're good with me. Because you're saying things that sound religious and sound good. But you haven't given me your heart. You haven't given me your life. I think this was kind of covered in Matthew 23, although presented differently, so I won't take too long on it. But um, the people, the, the Pharisees would convince people to give the money that should be taken care of their parents to, uh, to, for the Pharisees' use. And say, well, that you're doing this for God. It's Corbin. And and Jesus says, you are invalidating the word of God, which was said to you to honor your parents, take care of your parents. And you're doing it by calling it for God, by putting a religious tradition that God did not set up. And so he said, in this way, you are holding your religion above your God. And that is a serious word that we all need to constantly check ourselves with because the enemy is constantly trying to have us establish religions. And actually you see that with pretty much all denominations. Most, most I don't know about most, there's thousands and I don't know most of them, but many denominations started with a great move of God. Usually people who had no intention or desire to set up a denomination, but the Lord was moving powerfully within them. And then later on, after that first generation passed away, future generations were not necessarily moving in the way of God, but were still inspired and following after those people. So they made religions about certain things that were done by those men of God, and that became the denomination. That became the religion, is based on certain techniques or certain principles, instead of actually having the life of God that was the inspiration or the movement, the very life of the people who started. we were just walking in, in the way of the Lord. So we always have to check ourselves to see where we've allowed religion to creep in and control us. And so then Jesus teaches the crowd this principle. I said, there's nothing outside that can come in and defile you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. In other words, what you've allowed to simmer in your heart in your soul um, that is what is harming you and so that comes out through your words through your actions anyone who has ears to hear let him hear and his disciples are confused by this because it goes against see this is, again, this is religion, so this is instructional. So the disciples don't understand, and they ask him to explain this. I think most people that hear this get it. The question is, do you really get it? Do you, do you apply it in your life, or do you just get it as a principle? Because Jesus established this principle a couple thousand years ago, we all now assimilate it and it becomes part of our religion, part of our thinking. And it's a true principle, but do we apply it or do we apply it just to other things like, well, obviously, food's not going to make me evil or dirty hands aren't going to make me evil. We get that now. But you see, they didn't get it. This was so ingrained in their culture that to them, eating with clean hands was somehow uh, correlated with holiness, with righteousness. And so, again, that's the way religion creeps in. Is you we assume things are part of a holy righteous life because we've heard it so many times and we've never questioned it, and therefore breaking beyond that takes us really stepping outside of that religious training and saying, "Wait a minute, is this from God or is this from the religion of man?" So Jesus explains the parable to them. He says, look, this stuff coming from outside of you doesn't hurt you. But what's inside of you? Evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So he's saying the the evil that we harbor in our heart and we never think of it. I mean, we might. But often we don't think of these things as evil. Uh, I know when I was coming to the Lord, I, I had first come to the Lord, but I had come out from a very worldly life. And I had convinced myself that certain things I was doing were okay because I wanted them to be okay. The Lord had to teach me and train me and, and get me to radically repent and change my life over a period of time. But I was harboring wickedness in me because I had come out of the world and we that's you know so again that uh, you can call that a religious spirit as well when we think well these things are good and i'm okay because of these things but these things are fine um these are these aren't bad even the bible it was interesting i could read the whole bible and not see that these things were evil because i didn't want to see them and uh, so we can fool ourselves by allowing this wickedness to stir inside of us versus humbling ourselves, turning to the Lord and being cleansed. And these are basic things that, you know, stop. If we, if we want it all, if we want the life of God, we want to know God, be filled with him, experience a, a supernatural, eternal life in the here and now to see God moving powerfully in us and through us, be continually communicating with him. Um, We need to turn away from the world and turn to him. He wants to give us all these things, but we have to turn to him. For some that can be, you know, things like he's listed here. For others, it could be things like uh, pride or religion or, or just worldliness. Some things aren't evil, they're just worldly what tv or internet is filled with these things it's they're filled with bad things too but they're filled with a lot of things that are fine they're not good or bad um but if we fill our lives with these things we're not filling our life with god and so we always have to be aware what are we taking in what are we filling our life with who are we filling our life with and then we have the story where jesus went to tire and he was just trying to get a break and uh escape notice but a woman heard about him and she had a daughter with an unclean spirit she was a gentile and she came and wanted him to cast the demon out of her daughter and he said let the children be satisfied first for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs so he knew that he had been sent to the jews specifically in that life God, it was clear in the Old Testament, obviously it's clear to us throughout the New Testament, God came for everyone, not just Jews, but Jesus specifically was sent to the Jews during that lifetime. And so he said, look, <laughs> you're not one of these. And But she said, Lord, even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. So he removed the demon, didn't even see the daughter remove the demon because of her great faith so then he came back into the sea of galilee area region of decapolis and they brought to him one that was deaf could barely speak and uh they asked him jesus to lay hands on him to heal him he put his fingers in his ears and after spitting he touched his tongue with the saliva and looked up to heaven and uh, with a deep sigh and he said he path, path, uh, (laughs) which means be opened, and uh, his ears were open, and immediately the tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly, and he gave them orders not to tell anyone, Um, and, but they, people didn't listen to him about that, but they were astonished, he had done all things well, he makes even the deaf to hear, and the mute to speak, and we will end it there today, God bless you.